today on Ag News Daily. A girl carbon, I think what really differentiates us is, um, well, one, we have the ability for row crop acres and range of pasture acres both. So that's unique in this space. Usually one specializes in one or the other, but we wanted to make an opportunity for both. Well, here we are, last day of November, November 30th, 2023, a Thursday on the Ag News Daily podcast. Delaney, what do you think today is going to be like for weather in the southern part of Iowa? Mm, cold and snowy. Yeah, I didn't expect to see snow in the forecast for our friends in southern Iowa because we, us here in central Iowa are looking at nearly 50 degrees this afternoon with clear skies. But yes, there's a winter weather advisory that's been issued for southern Iowa. Mixed precipitation is in their forecast, according to the National Weather Service. Two inches of snow is expected and about a tenth of an inch of ice. So it's amazing where that line can be drawn, Delaney. Another weather system will bring light snow into the central region by the end of the week. The southern plains are still seeing the opportunity for maybe some snow of their own. This afternoon into the evening is when their best chances are. The bulk of precipitation is going to hit the panhandles of Oklahoma and Texas. As you go further south, those turn into thunderstorms, which are still in the forecast there, with the chance of severe weather being very low. Well, I'm glad that we're not getting any here yet in central Iowa. We did get some, you know, over the weekend, but it's mostly melted here, I think in central Iowa. So I'm certainly not ready for it. Yesterday was like a nice fall day though. Yeah. You started with all your layers on in the morning and uh, it warmed up pretty nice in the afternoon. It certainly did, Tanner. Certainly did. Well, let's uh, transition here into some other news. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. Well, my first headline here is looking at an announcement made by the USDA earlier this week in regards to pork processing plant speed lines. Over the last two years, the USDA has been conducting experiments at various pork processing facilities to test out a higher speed operation for slaughter lines. They were testing to see if it generated um, worker safety, what that was for that, as well as, of course, what that impacted for the facilities that were able to process hogs. But following the recommendation of a team of experts, the USDA said on Tuesday, it's going to allow six of those pork processing plants to operate at higher speeds for the next additional 90 days to keep the experiment going that began over two years ago. The test was generated, as I mentioned earlier, to gain information on that, but the team said they don't feel they have enough data yet. Therefore, they're extending the, the experiment here for the next 90 days. The pork industry applauded this decision. National Pork Producers Council said that it's going to help prevent a slowdown in hog slaughter that would reduce pork supplies in the grocery store and lower pork prices paid to farmers for slaughter pigs. They also said that hog slaughter would fall by 260,000 hogs or 2.5% per month in the first half of 2024 if these higher speeds are not kept in place. We will see this continue on here from November 30th, officially begins that 90-day extension for those few facilities. And Tanner, a lot of this certainly was caused by some of the shutdowns and slowdowns we saw during COVID-19, but... Back in 2021, a federal court limited line speed to six 
1,106 head per hour. And in response to that, the USDA has been doing this larger study here to identify, is this really unfit for USDA workers? But, you know, I think a lot of the speeds and the lines now are having quite a bit of automation. So I'm not even sure entirely how much human interaction is required day to day on the lines as well. Cause I know we're moving in that direction. And I think that's the point that uh, some of the pork industry have made as well. Yeah. I was having a conversation with my dad about the hogs that we've got ready for market and our shipments will be delayed because back in plants are behind. There are just enough animals out there that are at slaughter weight to where this is a big advantage to see these high speed lines keep working because of the level of inventory that's out there. We also have seen back on the weather trend, the long-term forecast coming out of our federal offices, the uh, climate change and climate action divisions of the United States government have put together their climate future prediction and what that's gonna do to agriculture and crops that are grown here in the center of the state. The highlight of this article, unfortunately, means that we're going to see higher press pest pressure, Delaney, talking anything from ticks to mosquitoes to those other pests that damage your crops. Just a couple of things that will be impacting the area of Midwestern states for the upcoming decades are going to see maybe warmer weather, which means less opportunities for freezing and killing those pests on a seasonal basis. The massive report mandated that roughly every five years, we will see an amount of insect pressure that will continue to increase almost by double fold. Major disruptions that we could see is those in the Midwest that are producing uh, corn and soybeans may be seeing more erratic weather patterns like we've seen historically. The growing season is getting longer. Summers are getting hotter and the precipitation is becoming more volatile with rapid changes between extreme weather events, whether it be temperature swings or as far as moisture goes, drought and flood. Milder winters, like I was saying, is the issue there that will not kill agricultural pests and other pests in our area. But for this time being, it still seems like the Corn Belt region will be the best place in the United States to continue growing those types of crops. We're not going to see a huge regional shift as far as that goes. There's plenty more in the report, but it is interesting to see that we're looking at a trend towards severe weather on an erratic basis and milder winters, Delaney. Well, I, I'm happy for a milder winter, Tanner. Absolutely. Tanner, anybody that knows me knows I uh, I geek out a little bit over some of the things going on in the international scene. And as we're continuing to watch what's going on in Argentina now post-election, Argentina's central bank has started offering, I'm not sure what this is. I was trying to do some research and I could not find much, but their LEDIV, LEDEV for banks. Um, anyways, it's part of a larger program called the Precious Justice Program. And this program is working to not devalue the Argentinian peso, but certainly uh, stabilize it. The program works where you give 360 pesos and the central bank will guarantee that it will be worth one US dollar, $180, 180 days from now. 
They're not going to pay any interest to get this currency from you, but they guarantee that your 360 pesos will not lose value over the next 180 days. They're really trying to put a lid on in inflation. Of course, as we know, it's greater than 150% here currently, which I can't really even fathom compared to what's going on here in the United States. But they said this is going to be a measure they're going to put in place here over the next six months to try to help and stabilize the devalued Argentinian peso. Uh, this is going to be really interesting to see how this plays out, Tanner, because, of course, President-elect Malay had said during his campaign run that this was one of the biggest issues he wanted to face head on. And he's going to figure out a way how to deactivate what analysts are calling an inflation bomb. They said this is not the best way to go about stabilizing the Argentinian peso, but under current leadership, this is the path forward for them. So this might create more of an issue for him to resolve when he does step into office here in just a few short months. Yeah, that's interesting. I wasn't able to find anything while you were reporting on that either. You know, when you started off, I was thinking of LED lights, but obviously that doesn't help with currency. So we, uh, we've got more to figure out on that story. Back to ethanol. Ethanol output dropped to its lowest level in seven weeks and inventories declined. So we need to get our ethanol production back up. Of course, we did hit a holiday week itself. Production of biofuel fell to 1.011 million barrels per day last week. That's down from 1.023 the week before. Again, the Midwest region was the largest producing region. Ethanol stockpiles, like I mentioned, for the week dropped to 21.379. That's down from 21.652 million barrels in the week ahead of that. So interesting there to see how our ethanol will take place or if farmers are keeping their grain locked in their bins for the time being. The American Royal has been a Kansas City tradition since 1899. They are looking to be the nation's leader for food and agricultural education and events and engagement. In order to execute this, they are looking at putting a new facility up. They've got a barn raising, nearly 500 competitors, volunteers, and board members. Witness the American Royals November 28th vertical ceremony of what they plan to do for their new steel facility being placed on their property. This construction is a purposeful built complex looking to continue to utilize their board and mission to deliver opportunities to those in agriculture. So interesting there to see. This facility now will expand, will span more than 390,000 square feet or nearly seven football fields under roof, Delaney. Yeah, I saw that story as well. It's kind of a fun one to share today. But Tanner, I want to go back to the ethanol story or ethanol industry here for a moment. As you mentioned, there are some updates on ethanol production. Certainly I've been watching ethanol uh profits because they've started to slip a little bit here as of recently. And part of that could be just time of year, of course, but part of that could be the lack of clarity around year-round E15. The states of Iowa and Nebraska asked a federal court on Wednesday to force the EPA to finalize a rule finally allowing permanent E15 sales year-round in eight Midwestern states. The two states argued in a motion for a summary judgment that the agency is required to grant their requests and has failed to act. On April 28th of 2022, eight state governors requested a change allowed by the Clean Air Act 
to reject the use of the one PSI waiver for E10 composed of 10% ethanol. And this would result in applying the same volatility limitation to both E15 and E10. So it essentially puts them on even ground to compete, making both available year round in those eight states starting in 2024. Those states would include Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, Ohio, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. The EPA now has by law, the EPA was required to set the waiver aside and finalize the rule within 90 days of the request. So by now, the state's filing this motion with the U.S. District Court for the District of Southern Iowa. They've asked the court to render a ruling in their favor and take the EPA out of the equation. They said it's been over 400 days since they've got any sort of clarity from the EPA that was supposed to be a 90-day period, as I just mentioned there. So they said that the EPA's continued delay risks yet another year without the fuels that the governors are requesting for each of their respective states. That's why they've asked the courts to get involved, Tanner, and we'll see how the courts rule on this very important issue to many in, in these states. Absolutely. Well, the last little headlines I've got are updates coming out of Israel. The temporary truce between Israel and Hamas was extended for a seventh day today. Hamas also confirmed the extension of that truce. The Israel Defense Forces said operational pause will continue and talks will continue for more hostage releases. In the hours before the deadline, both of them ratcheted up the rhetoric about where their next combat targets would be in the next stage of their war. During the six-day pause, which is now seven, 97 Israeli foreign national hostages have been released from Gaza, and 210 Palestinians have been freed from Israeli jails. So that's what I've got there, Delaney, for the last of my headlines. Fantastic, Tanner. Well, I think I have just the market headlines left to take a look at here as we head into another trading session here in the overnights. Markets are trading mix. And of course, we do enter into uh, delivery for the November, excuse me, for the December contracts here. So we're going to start taking a look at 2024 crops for the corn market and wheat complex. March corn today up a penny in the overnights at 476 and three quarters. January soybeans down two and a half cents at 1344 and a half. As we take a look in the wheat complex today, the March contract is down a penny and three quarters at 584. March hard red winter wheat is down three and a quarter cent at 631. And March spring wheat down a penny and a quarter at 724. A quick reminder at where livestock closed yesterday and will open up here today. The February live cattle contract added 65 cents, opening this morning at a buck 73.47. March feeder cattle are up 77 and a half cents, will open at 224.27. And February lean hogs added $1.07 yesterday to open this morning at 70.10. Tanner, excited to talk today about the Agoro Carbon Alliance program. We've got a lot of carbon programs we're going to be digging into here on the podcast over the next few weeks. And this is the start of the first one here. So let's turn it over to that conversation. Carbon has been a huge topic of discussion here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. And we're going to talk about it, dive in more into some various programs that are available for producers. Chatting today with Clay Creighton, the Strategic Accounts Manager for Agorigal Carbon. Clay, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you. 
So Clay, as we look at the carbon space, there are a lot of carbon programs that are starting to pop up as of recently. Give us the overview of Agoro Carbon. Yeah, Agoro Carbon, I think what really differentiates us is, um, well, one, we have the ability for row crop acres and range and pasture acres both. So that's unique in this space. Usually one specializes in one or the other, but we wanted to make an opportunity for both. Um, so that helps out a lot for like Southern Iowa growers, Nebraska growers, things like that nature. Um, so that one, one thing that sets us apart, um, we can go more in depth on practices whenever you like to, but because that's a whole rabbit hole. But uh, that's one major difference for us. Um, we're also um, carbon agnostic. We only deal with carbon. We don't try and do any cover crop seed or biologicals or fert or anything of that nature. We deal in carbon only. So I think that definitely helps us to, you know, essentially be specializing in that for the grower. So we, we want to do our best to promote practices that not only enhance soil health, but will ultimately sequester more carbon because that's the entire business model. Um, we also have two different payment options in our, in our carbon contract, and we can do leased acres as well as deeded acres. So we're able to really kind of, I know it sounds cheesy, but I say kind of specialize, you know, personalize to the grower. Rather than have the grower try and fit in our program, we try and fit our program to the grower type deal. So... Um, those are a few key factors. Another last one I really want to hit on is um, we actually like we'll do soil sampling. So you enroll, it's you know it's not a it's not a model, it's not satellite imagery. We're going to be out there in your field, so that sequestration potential, that difference is is to your farm. It's not just a prediction model. So I think that's important. And with that, we have our grower success team, who is a team of agronomists that are hired on that will help with the onboarding process, help with the data collection, scheduling soil sampling, and ongoing agronomic visits. And that's also free as a addition for us too so that's the quick 30,000 foot view I guess but well perfect I'm excited to dig in more so Agoro Carbon uh, for those of our listeners unfamiliar with it how long ago was it was this organization started um started originally I'd say about a little over three years ago I would say the pilot stuff started first like okay we have this idea let's try and test it out on a few acres first and I've been here almost three years now since then and yeah, I started as an agronomist. Then my running joke is that I must have spoke too much at the first happy hour because now I'm in sales. So funny how that happens. But uh, but here we are. And it's really, it's changed. Every growing season's changed, but for the better. I mean, I feel like every year we're in these carbon markets. I mean, it's not as new of an idea anymore. Like, you know, it, it's been around for, you know, half a decade to a certain standpoint from other programs, things of that nature. So I think that's important because it's showing, you know, this isn't just a flash in the pan. It's here to stay. And, what programs are right for me and how can we get involved. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, it comes down to the brass tacks, how farmers are going to get paid out, how difficult or easy it is to implement carbon practices or carbon smart practices on their operations. So you mentioned earlier a little bit about some of the environmental practices that farmers can look at implementing to get paid out on, but let's discuss that aspect a little bit more. Yeah, we can start on the, on the row crop side of things first, if you'd like. And the, so on the row crop side of things, um, my first talking points are, you know, what do you do for tillage, typically? You know, what have you been doing? If it's fully conventional, do you have an interest in either reducing the pass or reducing your depth disturbance, you know, because that would qualify under our reduced tilt factor. So you can qualify for it as simply as reducing the pass or depth disturbance or moving to a completely different implement that just has less disturbance. So let's say somebody's doing a full field cultivation, they move to vertical till, that would qualify, or move to strip till, that would qualify. So there's a lot of, I would say, more wiggle room there. At least that's something most folks have thought about doing. And with our program, too, within the reduced till, there is still the factor, like, um, we know farming is anything but linear. 
So you might have to work and fix a few like headlands or we have some extra compaction. That's still allowed in our program as long as you're not, you know, ripping up the entire field again type deal. So um, first and foremost, that would reduce till and obviously going to no-till would qualify too. Um, the next piece would be cover cropping. So if you've never crop, cover crop before and wanted to add like a cereal rye, that would qualify. Or more recently, we have a new practice out this past July. So if somebody had already done cereal rye the past three, four, five decades um, and they wanted to add a legume like a, a pea or a hairy vetch or a clover, um, that would now qualify by diversifying their cover crop mix. So that helps get some of those growers in that have been doing the right thing for a longer time. But if they want to change up the cover crop mix, they can now still get enrolled in the program. And last but not least, on the row crop side of things, it's um, synthetic rate reduction, so nitrogen rate reduction. And this one's got a lot of wiggle room in a little bit too, just because it's all dependent on, let's say you put on 200 pounds of N on average synthetically, and you move to a variable rate fertilizer and you ended up putting on 190, something like that. You're paid off that 10 unit reduction at that point. Or if you replaced your synthetic with like a manure or a biological or something along those lines, that would actually qualify also. That too. So most of my row croppers, I urge to at least think about that because that's one thing we're all trying to do, right, is conserve um, input costs. So if you can reduce your synthetic nitrogen cost or replace it with an ulterior method and get enrolled in the carbon program by doing so, it's a win-win for everyone. So to dig in a little bit more, you mentioned that producers could get paid if they add some additional legumes, for example, to the mix. But for those producers already doing strip till, no till, cover crops, etc., can they get paid for some of the practices they're already doing, or do they have to switch to using new practices? P potentially, and I don't want to sound vague, but it depends a little bit on timing, um, because we do have a look-back period for ours that, um, you know, if you did cover crops, you know, let's say post-harvest 2022 last year, you would qualify still. It's not, it doesn't have to be brand new, like after you talk to me, immediately after that. If you did something this last year and then we happen to chat after the fact, that can still qualify. So some parts of it's timing, um, other parts of it is, you know, that cover crop mixture. Like if they don't want to do anything with tillage, can we still add a different species to that cover crop mix? You know, I mean, is there something there, like even something small? Um, like I'm working with a few producers I got in Nebraska and Camelina is really picking up steam out there. And that's a smaller rate that people are trying to input. You know, just to, okay, let's see what this can do type thing. So is that something we could do to kind of get that qualifying additionality practice in there? So I always try and work with farmers and do a Q&A session and be like, is there any way we can do it? Because um, I try and do whatever I can to, to get growers enrolled. And even if they can't, um, sometimes I place, will place growers on hold because we're always looking to uh, future practices. Like just because this is our offering today doesn't mean we might not have a new practice down the road a grower might be interested in. So to actually get paid out for carbon, there's a lot of factors that go into that, I'm guessing, and some soil sampling and maybe things like that to verify. How do farmers actually get paid out through your program? So we have two different payment options. Um, so one option, we do have some prepayments available to help with the practice change. So because we know cover crops are anything but free and that for the seed and the applications, things like that. So it's not going to pay for everything, but... Um, I get this question a lot, like, I get that question, like, well, it's, it doesn't pay for the whole thing, and I'm like, well, would you rather pay full price or have it discounted? Because this is discounting it for you. Like, um, so do, doing that can help, and that's why we offer it. Like, I really try and push that for certain row crop guys that, because the input costs are higher in general in row crops too. Um, and then we, so there is that, we get a little bit upfront, but then you also get the carbon credit sale, the payment, the actual sale of the credit. So say you grow in rolls, 
we would um, onboard him, so get his field boundaries, get him ready in soil sampling queue, and we get what's called a baseline first, so their starting point. And the soil sampling is covered by Agoro, by us, and we would try and work it around your schedule too. Like if you have a manure application plan, obviously we wouldn't come out at that point, like work around the farmer schedules. Uh, but we get that baseline first, uh, and then you can get some prepayments if you choose option B, for example, but then we come back in at year five and do that another soil sample as well. Then you're paid off that delta, that difference between years zero, the starting point, and years five. And so just for example, let's say you sequestered you know, two tons of carbon and the price is at $18 per ton or something right now, um, then you get $36 per acre in that scenario, just for simple math. So um, so it kind of, it, de- it depends on, you know, what prices you're doing for the prepayments, but then it also depends on what you actually sequester. But I kind of like that about our program because it's more personalized to what the grower actually did at that on his farm. That too. So if you outperform the estimation, you get paid that. If you do less too, you're not penalized, you'd still get paid that less amount. So really performance-based, I think it's fair. So who is setting the price that is going to be paid out? Is that something that is a fluid factor or do growers know heading into the season, this is what you could get paid depending on how much you produce? So with with our program in particular, um, we're a little unique where we have an established floor price for growers. So they have some stability knowing it'll never be lower than what we have right now for them. But we leave that open-ended because we know it could change five, ten years from now. We don't want to have them be locked in that floor price either. So I think our program is good in the fact that we have that stability price for them, the floor price, excuse me, that has some stability for the farmer and some, you know, peace of mind, essentially. Like, okay, no matter what, so Agoro's taking on that risk for the farmer, you know, betting on these markets that, hey, they're going to go up type deal. But we also have uh, the potential to make market adjustments as well too because we don't want to have you locked in at a floor price and then 10 years down the road have it be triple that that's not fair to the farmer at all too so we want to be fluid with that because it can be ever-changing that too so um, our team we typically do biannual reviews you know what is the price going what are the buyers going for because it's kind of fluid what the buyer wants to do too what are our competitors doing are we competitive like that do we need to adjust so we're monitoring it and that's not my job, thankfully, but <laughs> like that, but it is monitored. So Now, Clay, I think another common question we hear from growers is, can you layer this with other programs through the USDA or other organizations? Uh, yes. Yep. So um, if you ever have a question on which one, um, you can let me or the rep that you're working with know, hey, I'm interested in getting this program. Can we stack it? Is it stackable? Um, but typically, yes. Um, the only thing we really can't do, obviously, is like a carbon credit, on, like you can't be with us, and then another carbon program on the same acre. But you actually can be, just this is happening with other growers, you can have 500 acres with us and then 500 acres with a competitor as long as it's not the same acre. Like you can be in multiple programs, just not, it all goes down to the acre at that point. But other programs like um, Equip or CSP or things of that nature, we can stack with um, because I think that's important, especially in the cover crop side of things, because like we talked about before briefly, I mean, they're pricey. We all know they're pricey to put out there, but the benefits are there. They're scientifically proven. So it only makes sense for the grower to be able to have stackability with multiple options so he can get as much assistance as possible to help with that. So we've made sure our program can be fluid with that too. So you mentioned earlier, we started with the crop side, but you kind of hinted at there's maybe livestock carbon credits available as well. Yes, livestock, and that's been very big for us um, since we implemented that. So um, on the range of pasture side of things, we have three different practices there that you can get involved with. Um, The first one that most folks have either been doing a variation of or thought about doing is grazing management. And that's 
implementing like rotational grazing or some additional cross fencing or adjusting stocking densities depending on weather patterns or re certain rest periods to allow forage regrowth like basically anything to allow proper regrowth of that forage uh, to, to make adjustments can qualify so uh, a common misconception there a little bit too that we have with growers is they're like well i'm already rotating and i can't qualify and i'm like well not necessarily do you want to add additional cross fence do you want to do a bit more rotations a bit less like there's variations within that you can still do to create that additionality to get to that point I've even had a rancher qualify by doing, um, using water sources to rotate by turning off and on water sources, like not going miles and miles like that for them, but you know, adjusting the pattern like that too, or using a, a protein block or things of like that. So there's all sorts of things you can do. Um, the next piece would be biodiversity or seeding. And it's just like it sounds, um, putting a new species out there. All we need to know is what species did you choose to plant in your pasture and how. You know, did you fly it on? Did you drill it in? Did you broadcast the front of your ranger or what have you at that point? The nice thing about that one is you only have to do that once to qualify. You don't have to do it every single year because we know like if you have a 50,000 acre ranch, that's quite an undertaking <laughs> to get that accomplished. Um, last but not least would be fertilization. Similarly to the seeding, you only have to do it one time if you want to. And um, the only stipulation is five pounds of N or more per acre, which is not a whole lot, obviously. So it's pretty wide open. All we need to know is, you know, what source did you choose? Was it synthetic? Was it manure? Was it compost? What did you do? do? Do we have an analysis for it that we can quantify it, essentially? But a lot of folks will do the seed and fertilizer together or separated by a week or so, to, you know, to help that seed germinate and get proper growth. So um, we've had a lot of good feedback on that so far because there hasn't been a lot of opportunities in the past for ranchers with any, any program so that, that's been great for us especially kind of like I talked before you know southern Iowa a lot of folks have both or Nebraska a lot of folks have both and to be able to enroll everything under one program I think has been essential. Yeah I don't know of really any other livestock specific carbon programs and when we think carbon the automatic because conversation revolves around row crops so interesting to learn more about the livestock side as well. Clay, I think that's all the time we have. Before I let you go though, if our growers listening would like to check out Agoro Carbon's programs, where can they go to find more information? Our website's fantastic. It's agorocarbonalliance.com. That's A-G-O-R-O because some folks think I say agro and it's no, it's Agoro. Uh, but we have a carbon calculator even on there too that um, growers can mess around with themselves or if they want to say, hey, I did 500 acres in Sioux County of this practice. Um, and it spits you out a rough estimation for what you could earn. And if that interests you, then you can say, oh, speak to your representative, and they'll put you in touch with an, an agronomist or a salesperson like myself and start the conversation process. So go there, learn. We have a lot of good stuff. We have an Ag Knowledge Hub on there as well, too, which is um, interviews, articles, videos. Um, you could even see me um, freezing in Minnesota doing some soil sampling if you'd like to, um, but to, for how we actually do this type of deal. So it's good um, quality um stuff on there for growers to look over but i urge them to do so great thank you so much clay for joining thank you yes listeners delaney's right that was a good conversation and going to be the tip of the iceberg trying to get some perspective on how all these programs work and how they differ and what might be a good fit for you so if you've got other ideas make sure you send them to us but delaney for today should we let them go let's let him go